you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. There we go. <laughs> yes! No. Oh, no! <laughs> Let's trade back and forth until we just shoot ourselves. Right. It's stupid. I mean, it's not like I've not troubleshooted this before. It's not like I know, don't know where to check. You know, it is just. Right. You know. So how could it be that we work in Zoom, but don't work in Skype and don't work in Google meetings? You know, it should right. require a reboot between either browser level things or app level things. Right. And but I had a training session like a half hour before this hour before this in Google Meet, and it was fine, absolutely fine. And now suddenly it's not working. It's so weird, and I even rebooted. I mean, if I hadn't rebooted, right? Yeah, still, but so, you know, for me, it's probably easy to test when Colin gets home. I could just hear, because we're in the same house, I'll set up a, a, a Skype meeting with him, and then I can like call Gina's phone. And I could test it until See we that's okay. Yeah, Cause we're all in the same house. That makes it a lot easier. Right. You can like yell down the hall versus Catherine's in a library in Painesville. Right. Whatever else. Okay. Right. So, at, at least until we get those Microsoft AR goggles. They, you know, I just went to a big thing about T88, which T288, which is Apple's big project to make Apple Glass instead of Google Glass. Huh? And it's looking pretty cool. I'm, I am going to be one of those guys that's going to, uh, I already wear glasses anyway. They don't I, look so much like, obviously, I'm recording everything you're doing. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm looking forward to having well, augmented reality. I really am. I think it's going to be very cool. Have you seen the, the promotional stuff that uh, Microsoft's done for their HoloLens? Uh, some of it, yes. Not in particular for glasses. It was still big yes and big it, goggles you know what i mean uh, right and it, i mean i liked it because it the the one that struck me was it was this plumber with the glasses on and there was a homeowner and it's like middle of the night or whatever and the the you could see the plumber grasp something so the owner grasped it so you know think about that that when you call a plumber out and it's like a three minute fix and it's like okay that's a 150 dollar bill and he just drove all that way you could have a whole group of plumbers just on tech support calls and say, oh, you, let me see. And they could see the problem exactly. the, and say, oh, this is an easy fix. It's going to be 25 bucks instead of 100. Yeah. And I'll walk you through it right now. That's right. That's, I love yeah, that. The practical aspects. It's not, oh, gosh, we can have uh, uh, doctors operating from afar, it, which is like still, you got to have a steady hand and some idea of what you're doing. But like, you know, anybody can do lefty, loosey, righty, tighty if they know what thing they're loosening. Right. But the plumber will be able to do right. it. So, or even like the problem okay. we just had with all the people I work with, there's so, I mean, we are a virtual company. <laughs> you know, it'd be so much easier, especially it's like, okay, put the goggles on. I see your printer. Now press this button and, you know, do, do this. 
I could walk them through it so much easier than trying to do it in my mind or pulling up a picture. I, I love it. I, that's amazing. So before we continue further, let me call Catherine. Oh, again, sorry. Yes. I need to make sure that she knows that we're off for today. <laughs> we're screwedy. I'm not, you know, we don't necessarily want to include this in the Relentless Geekery podcast. And yet this is such a classic of yeah. we really are alpha geeks. We really have troubleshot this kind of stuff so many times you work with a virtual corporation yeah. you have done virtual support for how many websites and databases all these years and yet once in a while sunspot we, activity or something things just go weird we we've <laughs> done this uh with three live events with multiple people and you know that went through and that, that we were waiting for problems exactly. you know uh, honestly i think what it's going to come down to is some security thing because they have gotten so tight with security with all the systems and all the browsers. And I think just the fact that it was used, I, I'm, I don't know, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I'll tell you, I, I guess uh, the only thing, not the only thing, a big similar thing that I can think of is Colleen works from home. She also has all kinds of uh, um, security things with her company, VPNs, not only control over her laptop, but access to her own files on the virtual server, access to her printer, et cetera, et cetera. And there's any number of times that it's not just been go out and come back in again. It's been like walking around the house, shutting off every device, kind of like waiting for it to cool down. You know what I mean? <laughs> way to put it, but you make sure that when you start up, you boot it in the right sequence and then right. it works again. But there's no reason that it should have stopped working. I, 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 <laughs> I forgot to put on my skirt and do my dance in the sacrifice. That's the problem. <laughs> Honestly, I, especially when, you know, we present ourselves as geeks, when I'm usually the one that helps everybody else right. out, I'm on Zoom calls in, in my uh, cinema. It's a thing that UHHS does for di diabetes people. And regularly, there's people that from time to time can't consistently get their mic, get the video, get everything working. And so I was like, check here, please check there. I've become virtual tech support, if you will. And then, but like, when I have to do it to myself. It's like the advice I give everybody else and it's not working for me. This is hideous. Well, but I, the good point is, you know, we don't know everything. And I think that's important too. You know, so there are limits. And I think sometimes, because especially 20 years ago, people would have simple problems. You know, their keyboard was loose or something like that. And it was real easy to fix it, And but they didn't understand it. So of course, any high level technology looks like magic to people right. that don't understand. Exactly. You know, I've had a couple of conversations with tech support from Colleen's work where it's like, you know, we've got our house set up. So we have multiple environments and we need all of them to be able to work. I know that there's tunneling from VPN, but it should be that that doesn't automatically knock everybody else off the network. And yet that's been the first suggestion multiple times is, you have to get everybody else off. You can't have, like if I'm going airplane <laughs> to the HP printer and that, you know, they're now, they're, they've had for a long time what's called ESP, you know, like uh, external sensing protocol where no matter what port you're coming in, no matter what Wi-Fi or uh, Bluetooth or whatever you're coming in, it doesn't have collisions. It handles each of those as a separate channel, if you will, and that they take time. The printer driver is what makes sure that none of that happens. But they all retreat to when it really used to be that you had to like 
you had to take turns and yeah. the people had to talk about whose turn it was instead of the machine figuring it out for them. right but it's like it, but they did they figured that out that's been a 20 year old solution right it, the 2000s it hasn't had to worry about that but now somehow because of the introduction of vpns and various other security measures they're too close to the metal but they don't realize what they do when they do that that oh well oh well. poorly written programs i mean you probably remember back in the day uh, on a small intranet getting like a network storm and it, they're just sending hundreds of messages and everybody's machine bogs down exactly. and you're like flip everything goes off because something's misbehaving yeah i'll tell you this is you know worth geeky talking about because the history of this is fun back well, I, I consulted to ameritech for a long time and the things i started off doing with them kind of end user computing support services was the, the group I worked with, what a horrible acronym, OICS, you know what I mean, however you pronounce that. <laughs> well, when they saw that I knew a lot, they would regularly have me help us shop for getting tape drives, help us figure out this network problem, help us get this print from a Lotus 123 spreadsheet. And we talked about this a little before, we had to embed printer control codes and stuff. Well, they had multiple uh, network topologies if you will both physical and logical running on their stuff and it used to be banyan vines remember that one <laughs> and ethernet right we'll talk that they all had different cabling and if you could you could get things to work both but they really did have to like take turns and you had to often reboot and stuff and then already back then this was wow mid 80s people were saying you know uh hasn't somebody figured this out yet we can't be the only people having this problem if somebody showed me a little box that I put on my network that took all the traffic in and played traffic cop and made sure that this didn't happen anymore, I'd buy it. And I was always on the lookout for that kind of stuff. You know, some of it was solved by companies going out of business. I don't think Banyan's around anymore. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but what's funny is maybe like uh VCR versus no, VHS versus Betamax, the better technology didn't necessarily win. You know what I mean? It's they better marketing. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know. Apple was was the one of the companies to first make it that it really was plug and play. You really could, with a network cable, attach multiple people to the network for the printer. And then that printer was not just yours anymore. It was a shared printer and it did print queuing and all that stuff. And you might be able to, like, only a certain number of people could manipulate the print queue. You know, they had a little separate program, a print manager. and so there, there was, they made it so that most people didn't have to worry about anything. And a little bit of what you said, you know, it is magic. If you're the guy that has the program that can fix things and nobody else even has that program, they didn't know that all you, and once you submitted the print, it was like, I'm waiting for it to come back. They didn't know that you could like change priorities or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Oh, well, it, well, it, it was. <laughs> so my first computer network job was I was doing data entry for an insurance company. Okay. And the manager spent four hours trying to set up an AB box. So one computer would be hooked up to two printers and you just hit the button with the printer you wanted. Four hours, he couldn't get it. I walked over, looked at it. It was working in 20 minutes. And he's like, do you want a job? <laughs> you know, right. so my kids, my family, people getting in nowadays, you don't know how easy it is to turn on a computer, connect to a router from anywhere in the house and get onto the internet. Exactly. You, you know, they, they don't know the, the pain that went, that people went through to get to this point. Yeah. You know, it be, wow. It's worth talking about, you know, you and I have both done that. We were often like 
the guy that was called in when things were already bad, and then you had to kind of you know, calm down. You, you didn't do anything wrong, but something is wrong. So walk me through what changed, who was the last one to touch it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can't tell you how many times I had people like almost crying saying, thank God you're here. Because <laughs> I've, I've, I rescued files lost off of a hard drive oh. that month's presentation and they just couldn't bear the thought of it's gone and so you know what i mean when right. you that, i used to have my little bag of tricks my diskettes or and this is before thumb drives where here was the thing that could analyze the um, yep. hard drive and if the directory was damaged it could still look for individual files and you bring up the file list and they'd like pointed this thing on the screen like like a boom you know that's it that's what i need oh my god and and it was it was very nice once in a while especially because this was always like at 7 30 at night we started working on it on five o'clock and just right. to get to where oh well so i always liked doing that and most people were appreciative but there were there were of course also <laughs> always the ones that were like so can you make this that this never happens again and that's just like remember how when we started i said i didn't want to like lay blame but the reason that this stuff happens is you have to learn to save. Yeah, you that, have to, learn to save multiple copies, maybe with a date stamp on the end, so you could distinguish between previous versions. You, you know, we, what I mean, we, I we all know to take our car in to get the oil changed, to take it in and get it checked. They have lights to tell us when something's wrong and get it looked at, and right. we all know that to keep it running. And it's our fault if it doesn't, you know. Right. But people with computers are like, oh, I don't want to mess with that. Oh, I don't want to, you know, and it's like, but it's simple things. I mean, like I've learned through the years, and I think we talked about this before with my setup, that my C drive, I could turn my computer off right now, yank my C drive, stick in another drive, install Windows, and everything's there. There's, I have to reinstall programs, yes. Right. But it's I don't- It is safe on an alternate drive, exactly. Yes, and you know? Yeah. And the ones I love when there's problems are, hey, I've got a problem. Okay. Well, how long to go take to fix it? Uh, uh, well, what's the problem? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a, I, I don't know. There's a, a whole bunch of talking people off the ledge. If anything went wrong, it must be a virus. And it was like, right. no, probably it's, you know, there's a whole a bunch of other things. And so let me test those things first. And and I don't know, this is a whole cool discussion that I've actually had like sitting at the Mensa table where one of the things you learn as a troubleshooter is like you attack the most common problems, the solutions to those problems first. You see what it might be, but it's not just starting at A. You kind of do the thing that here's the most probable and maybe it's three things. Then if it's not any of those three things, the easy fixes, but common ones, then you don't just start at A and go towards Z. You say, what can I test so that it cuts what it could be in half right. and so that way i'll get to a solution in kind of a binary search you know what i mean if i've got 100 things it might be will it take 99 things to find it no it'll take let's see um what's between 64 and 128 you know two to the seventh versus two to the eighth i hope i have that right it'll take seven Sounds going on eight to get right to figure out close to what's wrong in seven tries not a hundred tries that's a really powerful thing to be able to talk and sometimes they want to know well, how'd you figure that out well, it's kind of looking at the solution space and that you try to cut it in half each time. And so, like I said, a binary search and and they would like, well, how do you even know that? Well, unfortunately, that's kind of a bit Years. of experience yeah. as to you have to know what's if it's not the easy stuff, what then it isn't about finding what's wrong. It's about being able to find out what it's what's not wrong. Right. You know, it's not. And 
and then keep narrowing what it might be. And just the experience (laughs) of, you know, I've run into these hundred problems and I know that these, this group of 15 is a hard drive type issue. This group of 20 is a driver issue. And you, you get that idea, but you know, if, if it's the first time you've ever encountered that, you might have no clue. Right. Uh, you know, and there's uh, also, boy, there was a whole bunch of frustration with so the first thing I'm going to do is make a backup because we need to have a place to retreat to instead of my starting to fiddle around. I lose something and then, oh my I, God, that, you know, no, no matter what, don't lose data. Well, how long is the backup going to take? Probably like an hour. Right. I don't have an hour. Well, my friend, I'm sorry. <laughs> you need to make whatever calls you need to tell somebody who's waiting on this. Right. These are fritzed up and you're going to have to, you can't count on it being a five minute thing. You got to right. get safe and yeah. then start working on the solution. So I, I read a, um, <laughs> it was a, a report, whatever, somebody, they, they did a study and that they found that the people that have the least problems with computers are the ones that fiddle with it, that, that go into the settings and click the settings and see how it changes things. But yes. the people that are afraid to just even go into settings or to even change like the browser window size or something like that, the ones that are afraid to do that have more problems because everything is a major issue to them That's and right. they don't know how to. It's all scary. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. My, my browser doesn't, I can't see anything. It's too big now. Okay, we'll shrink it. I have no idea how to do that. So it's suddenly it's a problem, but you and I wouldn't even consider that a problem. It's like, okay, it's fixed and done. Forgot all right, about it. Right. So, you know what? It, uh, there's a whole, there's like a book to be written about this. You know, that, that troubleshooting mindset, it isn't only about computers. It's kind of like, how do you view the world? Whenever I, whenever we travel, like I, I, we, in the days before you had a GPS that took you unerringly to your destination, it was usually, I have a map that's going to get me close, the course coordinates. And then I have some directions from the hotel that said, when you get off this exit, here's how to take this series of cuts to get to us. And that ability to go from course to fine, to go from, I'm going to get close, then it can only be so big a problem from there. You know that you're within two blocks. If you just randomly search, you'll find it in a while. And if you don't, if you just stop somebody on the street, do you know where Giano's is? Yes, I live here. You, 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 all these things. And that applies to, to travel, to how to find something in a library, to how to, like all kinds of, how do you get enough information to have, make the big steps first and get close? And then there's a separate step. You, you stop thinking about big things. You start thinking of, now that I'm close, what are the things I want to ask to get to the finer solution, I guess? Right. So I, there's also, and you might have laughed about this, Myers-Briggs, you know, there's a big thing between um, the ENT and then either P or J, perceiving or judging. Right. And people that do everything purposefully, um, I only want to learn this so that I can do this thing. They, they learn the method on how to do that thing. If you're a perceiver, you're always taking in information. And no matter what the problem is, I have a feel for what to do next. I might not know the perfect method to get there, but there's never a time that I feel lost. So sometimes when I used to I, we play poker. The boys would play poker on the third Friday of each night and was all, was all over the Chicagoland area. Many's the time that I, I want to get there on time for the game. So I drive right to it. I use my mapping. On the way home, I just said, well, I know I live northwest of here. And I would just head either Sorry. north or west. And 
And then you you kind of like, well, now this looks a little bit familiar. I've seen these train tracks on a map. If I cross them, then I know I'm in this place. You see a town name. I know where Carroll Stream is compared to Glen, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then that's all kind of getting stored up here. And the next time that you get lost in any of those places, you're like, this seems kind of familiar. I'm pretty sure that there's like a gas station or a mall or something coming up. Oh, there it is, like I expected. And all of a sudden that anxiety is gone because by having tootled around coming yes. home from Boulder, oh. now I have a feel for the area. And I had that for a lot of Chicago. I mean, it's places I probably shouldn't have gone, you know, where it's like <laughs> a neighborhood or it's like, what am I doing here? But after a while, it's like, it was very handy. It was very handy to have expanded my map so that there was no place that people could tell me to go in Chicago where it would be, oh, isn't that near the Leaning Tower of Pisa replica where the YMCA? It's like, how do you know that? Well, I went by there one day and it's memorable. Right, you know, right, right. Tower of Pisa everywhere. Right. <laughs> and, and that touches upon an even deeper thing. I mean, first of all, you have the confidence and that's the same thing with doing the computer stuff. And that is something I think uh, our kids are missing and parents don't get uh, with the kids that you were driving around. Now, could you have failed? Could you have gotten completely lost? Yes, absolutely. But you really couldn't because all you got to do is keep driving left, right or something. I mean, if you drive north, you're going to hit a lake and then See, you know where you're at. <laughs> Luckily, exactly. In Chicago, if you keep going east, you'll hit the lake. In right. Cleveland, it's just north instead of east. But there's right. still a thing you know. I've, I've gone now beyond this is terra incognita. I know I shouldn't go there. So then I start thinking, am I west or east of where I want to be? Right head that way <laughs> and, and it's that mindset then that you get that i i can do this there's a confidence that builds up by yeah. by failing occasionally but the problem is that our society is getting more and more built up to where kids don't fail at anything that we we don't want them to fail the common core so we concentrate on that and then they don't know history and reading uh that parents oh we don't want them to feel like failure so everybody gets a partition participation trophy and i don't want my kid to do that because he might fail and or i'm going to help him oh this bugged me like with the cub scouts the parents would make the pinewood derby cars because oh. i wanted to make sure it was done good so they wouldn't lose yeah no that's been around forever freaking they, lose for the helicopter parent was a term yes. it probably was the kind of interfering over mothering yes. fathering parent whatever yeah yeah but you gotta let the kids uh fail at times let them fail when they're eight at the little things they will learn so much more and you'll you'll learn a lot about the kid they'll learn a lot about themselves you know making yeah, a, a car yeah exactly. you know yeah. you'll get those kids that go you know what that car sucked last year and i lost i'm doing much better this year you have just helped that kid for the rest of his life much more than you would have by handing him a car that won, yeah. <laughs> you know, but oh, boy, a perfect segue that we hadn't intended on talking about. Aline and I are drinking in the Olympics. Okay. You, know, you see someone that's great at the Olympics. It isn't that they were like born being a great archer, right. tumbler, pole falter. They had to fail how many? A hundred thousand times in order to get it to where now it's in muscle memory and they can judge based on everything the quality of the track and how are they feeling that day and who are my opponents that they've got all that that puts in goes into a great performance and in some cases it seems effortless because they're so fluid and so perfect at what they do but what built into that you know you can't play a piano concerto until you <laughs> practiced it a thousand times right and the olympics are so much a proof of that when they show the backstories sometimes um very interesting sometimes a little intrusive or like 
let's get back to seeing the sports, if you will. But almost all of them have that thing of, I was at the gym every day. I I knew people that I got there for eight hours and they were there when I got there and they were still there when I left. So who do I think is going to do well? The people that are even more crazy dedicated than I am. You know what I mean? And maybe that's obsessive a little bit too. Well, while there's a little bit of, wow, you're getting a lot of your value in life from that. I hope that the lessons are not, I'm a good pole vaulter, but it's more like the lessons of it took training to get that skill. It took persistence. What I've learned and seen uh and i it's not my original thought if you want to be successful at something life in general <laughs> but if you know computers is what we were talking about you know heart troubleshooting you have to have a passion and you have to have focus if you don't have either one of those things you're not going to be successful at whatever it is you know i i can play piano but if i don't enjoy it and if i'm not really pushing at it i'm never going to get to that ultra level exactly it's the one of the joys of having done a lot of investing over these last say two and a half years is it was a a a return to a field that i had cared a lot about 20 years ago and i had had to put aside because i got bruised big time but i love the fact that there there, you really do get better at it the more you learn you get better at distinguishing between noise and signal you get better at you know are my emotions involved and how am i handling the right amount of risk reward trade-off and all those things but just in the overall getting back to learning, getting back to, I can see I'm getting better. You know what I mean? That this is, there's no better feedback loop than am I making or losing money? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the reward is very immediate or the lack of reward. And so I've done a number of things where I got really good at it, but when you get good, then it, it's not, you're not coasting. You're not just doing it mindlessly, but the expectation of victory is there and you don't have that risk as high of, well, I really might like fail big time. I might embarrass myself. I might really need to go to somebody and say, not only am, am I don't, I don't have it working. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to figure this out. You know, so much of becoming an adult is not wanting to embarrass yourself like that. And yet I love learning. Yeah. I, I love figuring things out. And, and like you, you said to the start of the conversation, just trying things. You sit down at a new computer and you browse the menus and you go into the preference dialogues and you try things. And that like, so what would happen if I did this? One, a part of being a great QA person is not doing what's in the menus, not doing what everybody would expect. How can I fuss with this in a way that a human being might do anything crazy random? How do I recreate that? And in fact, you know, Microsoft even has a term called fuzzing for that. You throw data at a program, all kinds of input that nobody in their right mind would use. Well, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot right. of people that right mind is not the right term, but randomness happens all the time. And that's of course how they've discovered all kinds of corner cases, all kinds of, it's something that nobody would do. And yet somebody did it and it broke the program spectacularly. Bear with me, I have to remember the name of this. There's a, you know, the most simple text editor that comes with Windows from, from Windows Start was considered to be like impervious to harm. It had been so troubleshot and so many people had worked on it. I don't know, maybe called teach text or something, simple text. It was something okay. like maybe Microsoft edit. Well, someone find, found a way to broke it. Like at 30 years after people had thought this is the most mature piece of software we have. They found a way to break it because they just said, what if like I was a tentacled being and I really hit eight keys at once? You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> so. I, I love reading about that kind of stuff of um, that our minds are in our program. 
You know what I mean? That yeah. there really is that what, what you and let me think how to say this. Of course, how we are with our computers is you can't figure out everything. It it it, it takes a certain amount of money to get to excellent, to get to perfect. It's like a near impossible amount of money. So you have to get that feel for what is the probability of something going wrong. If I tested for the top hundred, the top thousand, the top ten thousand things that might go wrong, and after a while that that number of standard deviations from what can be expected it really isn't worth debugging it any further because right. the returns are our diminishing returns are so small right and yet there are some things like running a nuclear power plant the kind of can't let anything <laughs> go wrong right so when they do what i read you know the most fascinating things i read about qa a little bit of maybe what we're doing with um raspberry pi and arduino that you're going to put this in a chip there's no like fixing it. Maybe nowadays there is with EEPROMs and things you can actually change the silicon, if you will. Right. Way back when, the little mini controller that was going to go in, how does it, once you get that a car drives, not because you press an accelerator and it opens up more gas, but it actually goes to a mini processor and that's what talks to the gas and lets it, you have to make sure that that is just absolute not fail <laughs> ever, ever, ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and I, I loved reading about there's that level of like, crazy QA that you have to do for some things because you can't have someone's pacemaker go wrong. You can't have the gas pedal go wrong right. and those kinds of things. <laughs> right. Which is why I don't want to deal in those fields. Too stressful. <laughs> you know, it's, that's really true. Any number, what things we talk about, like no matter what, don't lose data. You know that once in a while, you're just going to have to hang your head and say, I did everything just right. I played by the rules and something was still beyond what I ever would have expected. Yeah. I'm so sorry, your face bot, your Foxbase database is gone. <laughs> and they don't make Foxbase anymore. So we don't have a programmer to help you. Uh, you're My just fans, out of man. luck. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, you know, speaking of all this computer stuff, uh, I, and I, I mean, I, I definitely want to talk to Catherine, but I've got a couple things to bring up that I think you find interesting. Right. So uh, I think I mentioned that Windows 11 is coming out. And they are really pushing the security hardware uh, with Windows, that your hardware has to meet certain specs to be able to install Windows 11, or it won't even install. So I've got upgrade. Okay, I'm good with that. Okay. Um, well, my laptop is extremely old. It's been slow. It's steady. It works. I can do just about everything I need, but it's a little slower you know, using it at times. I don't put very much on it. And I said, you know what? I can't upgrade it. It's at the end of its life. I don't have a lot on there. I'm going to put Linux on it. I went back to that. And I've been using Ubuntu uh, most of the time. That's the one you hear about and okay. stuff. And it's still like when I was setting up to do some programming and I had to connect to a Git repository and just everything I had to go through all the steps to, I'm like, uh, you know, just so much work. Right. And that's like, I, thought well, I was free of this. I like <laughs> yes. having installers. I don't have to run an exact series of commands with 18 parameters. Exactly. That I wrong. Right. You know? okay. <laughs> and so I, so I was looking around and I've heard a lot about Linux mint. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll give it a try. Let me tell you, I love Linux mint. I've it, never heard of it. Tell me it, about Linux Mint. It is a, it's a it's a branch of Ubuntu. Okay. But they have really focused on the user experience and making it so that uh, your typical Windows and Apple people would feel comfortable, even more comfortable using it. Okay. 
and it's one of the drivers it's got a, a gui it's it's all yeah now now ubuntu has that but it, it still seems like whenever i'm using it I, i'm still working a little harder than i want to okay. i still have to do a make and install and type too many commands okay. and the software repository there's so many things i can't find so i have to go to the website and it's like oh look download this untar it and you know it's just right. i know how to do it i just don't want to right right Linux Mint, the software repository was absolutely huge. Everything installed like a dream. It runs really well. I mean, with Windows, it was really boggy and running slow. My laptop, I, I Linux Mint, it boots up and runs and everything's zippy. And I'm like, all, all fresh, no cruft, no yeah, of it's great. Here. Okay, you know. And so I've been like, okay, I, I'm not going to use it as my main machine. But let's see what, you know, if I, if I want to go to the beach for a week, you know, can I get to my email? Can I get to my editing and software development? Can I uh, FTP out to the servers or, can, you know, the whatever? Uh, it does everything. And in fact, I was even thinking of, you know what? I'm going to try it one of the days for the podcast. And I know my camera on the laptop's not that good, but I'm going to say, I'm going to see what this looks like and, and, and do it, you know, so Linux Mint, I'm happy with, I'm playing with. So it's a new thing. It's This is a terrible thing to say, but I'm really inspired. You know, I have all kinds of old computers that are no longer my main boxes, and I really don't tend to uh, sell them for 25 bucks. You know, right. you know what I mean? I tend to hold on to everything. So I've got the, the Island of Broken Toys, you know, kind of that Sargasso Sea of computers here. And it'd be very cool to take one of those and just say, let's see what. Yeah. And with Linux Mint. I'm that's what I figured. So I, I'm yeah. actually now, of course, you know, I can never stop there. I got to take everything to another level. <laughs> like, well, my stepson has an old laptop that the battery doesn't work well. Uh, as long as it's plugged in, it's okay. But it's not running great. I'm like, huh, I wonder if we put Linux Mint on that, how good that would do. And, you know, I'm, I'm, and then I'm thinking, well, you know what? There's a lot of laptops out there that can't run Windows really well. And, and they go for dirt cheap. Well, what if the schools actually bought these used laptops and put Linux Mint on them and, and the kids could use it for the stuff at school? I'm like, that's if a lot all you cheaper. you need is a spreadsheet and, a, and a, you know, a, a word processor and that kind of stuff so they can do their science homework, right. their essays and stuff. It doesn't take a lot of computing power to do that. Right. And it's really no different than the Chromebooks that are out there, you know, and that's what that's really they use true. a lot of. And especially like uh, Biomed, the, the tech school that my kids went to, you know, that sounds like it would be a good project for tech is to take the old laptops, install Linux and use that for your schoolwork for a semester or something, exactly. that, you know, so. There's been people throughout the history of computing that have said that, you know, what's the way, like Nicholas Negroponte, do you remember his name at all from oh, MIT? He, no. was, he was um, a real good visionary and explainer of like where the world of computing is going kind of oh. like um uh bear with me so his big project was we need to get like a hundred dollar computer we need to make something that every student in every school could afford that we could sell them in africa and asia that it's not this three thousand dollar rig or 15 or a thousand right. every one of those price points cuts off a part of the population that just can't afford it right so he kept pushing for you know, don't only be thinking about how you can th make things mightier. How do you make things that are all about power consumption, about the most bang for the buck? And when they, each, each time they had a, uh, 
an upgrade, if you will, from the 286 to the 386 to 46 worlds and that kind of stuff. He said, don't just throw all those old processors away. If those things are now a penny for a CPU, but that still could be the heart of a $100 computer. Yeah. Let's figure out how we can still manufacture that. You know, a lot of it is knowing components. It's how do you mass produce that? He was like a continual, like, kind of a nag for the industry to say it isn't only about more pixels on the screen so you can play World of Warcraft. It is about making the, the information have nots all become hats. And so, hats off. I admired him yeah. for a long time with how he didn't he held everybody's feet to the fire about that. You know what I mean? That this <laughs> yeah. isn't about um, being mightier, it's also about being inclusive. Uh, cool. I have to look yeah. him up. Mm -hmm. uh, so there you go. Give Linux Mint a try if you got a machine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it, had, I had, I know, besides uh, Ubuntu, I knew that there was Red Hat. There's a couple other distributions that were uh, good reputations for different reasons. One's all about security. One's all about you know user support. One's about ease of install and that kind of stuff. And I just, I, the one time that I played around with it, all I kept thinking was, I don't want to go back to the days of the overhead. All of what I have to do just to keep this updated right. and. I was happy to have the relatively walled garden of Macintosh or Windows. Right. Know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and so I think Linux Mint is a good in-between, uh, you know, because I have used Ubuntu and I've got it. But again, I felt Raspberry Pi, I'm not getting that as a operating system that I'm doing my stuff on. That's for experimenting. That's hobbyist and goofing off. Yeah, programming and crap. You know, but if I really want to use my laptop, there you go it does and it, it it's not like i'm waiting forever that, that was a big thing my laptop's old so i've probably got another couple of years use of my laptop now out of it so you know when people like oh there's a lady at work she's like oh i think i need a new laptop um like, well how old is it well it's already four years old i'm like mine's 11 years old come on <laughs> but that also if we do our conference in january i'm just so looking forward to booting this up and waiting till somebody notices like what the heck are you running there because it doesn't look the same it's an old steam powered laptop that i use because it just keeps running you know right right yeah so okay uh, you wanted to talk about the perseids yeah oh oh look up and so please have you been outside have you cited what, what's your experience with this and what's your well before we even go there most okay. people know about that you know, every August they shoot. And if you haven't heard about it, well, you're probably not listening to us on the podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> but it but, is, it's the most plentiful meteor shower that occurs on a regular basis. Yes. That's a way of saying it. Okay. So, so, so here was my thinking, of course, I, I was like being an idiot. I was like, okay, I've heard it pronounced two different ways. Now they named it the way they named it because it's appears within the constellation of Perseus. Perseus. Exactly. And I was like, okay, so if it's in the Perseus, then it would be probably Perseid. That is kind of the same how you say that. But every time I look at Perseus, all I think of is Zeus. So that would be Perseus. So this would be Perseid. <laughs> so I'm like, there we go. We've had this conversation about our, our language and how to say things. And there's a good example. You know, however you say it, I'm okay with. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, I've never like looked it up. I think that I'm probably the first time that someone said it to me, I adopted it. So I heard it right. as Perseid, but right. I also know that I heard Haley's comment for a long time and it's not Haley's, it's Halley's comment. Halley's, yeah. But now, if you correct anybody, they give you the look. 
Oh know, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? You know. <laughs> well, so. my my son loves to correct the two he loves to correct. Uh, it's not an orangutan. It's a orang- orangutan. Okay, exactly. There's no G on the end. That's right. Yeah, and, and exactly old yeah. man of the forest, right? So okay, anyway, and it's not <laughs> Neanderthal, which we learned in school. It's Neanderthal. Yeah, even though there is an H in there, but you don't say it. That's exactly right. Okay, but I also found out that's actually not completely true. It's more a regional thing. Americans typically say "thal," but over in England, they typically say "tall." So interesting, aluminum versus aluminium. <laughs> oh, yes. Get into, exactly. Yeah. So okay. anyway, uh, no, we have not. I, I mean, we were driving a couple of times. I did go out and I haven't seen anything. I know it was rainy for the first couple. Um, we but were out last night and there were lots of stars in the sky, but we did not see, any. see anything. We were only out for maybe half an hour. And this is late, like 1130. One of those things where we had watched a whole bunch of Olympics and we kind of said, you know, I don't want to just be a couch potato watching the Olympians right. with a BMI of zero. And you know what I mean? So we went for a bit of a walk. And yet, maybe because there's too much subsidiary uh, light pollution around Lakewood and stuff like that, I would think that if there was a shooting star, though, you would have seen it in this night sky because yeah. it seemed to be pretty clear. But apparently, it's like July 14 to August 14. You know, we're right in the middle of that period. Right. Last night, we were not lucky. Maybe we need to go to more dark sky. Maybe we need to get lucky. I'm not sure. I would love to see them. I've only seen them twice in my life, and I'm you know 60. So you really got to be lucky about no cloud cover. Yeah, they they say. I mean, it's up to ten an hour, but no guarantees. You know. So uh, now this is something that I guess is changed a bit and new. When we were in school and we learned about our solar system, you know, we were we were. Uh, with Galileo, sun's here and everything goes around it. It's not <laughs> Earth-centric. We know that much. But I never thought about it. But they always talked about how everything in the galaxies and universe is moving away from each other. But we never really talked about that in school. It was always, here's the sun, we go around it. But when you stop them, it's like, wait a second. That means the sun is moving and we're moving with it. So that means all these meteor showers that we pass through also are moving so right at and, some and the plane of their you know orbits is just crossing our plane so they're not they're not also orbiting the sun so right. it's kind of like these here's these two things that are you know uh, uh it's a big soup out there and yeah. we just happen to cross each other okay. right so <laughs> i i'm imagining at some point in time we will probably no longer go through those and that'll change it might be. I mean, just that if if we're not moving in tandem through space, right. but we're moving kind of, you know, uh, less parallel and more across each other. Yes, we should be out of range for and where their orbit will penetrate our orbit. Now, and that that could be 3,000 years. Not even Earth, you know, Earth around the sun is different than the, all the planets around right. the sun. The solar system is a bigger disk. And it's not really a disk because there's perturbation. <laughs> it's more of a cloud. You know what I mean? But right, right. on the same plane. Right. Actually, this is... I love this stuff. You know, when, when you first, like you said, when you start off with, I know that we were around the sun, but then your first time you see an orrery, you know, it's where they have the representations and they all, it shows that they don't all orbit at the same time. This right. one's much faster. This one is slightly, uh, it's elliptical. They're all elliptical, right? Instead of round, elliptical versus, I think it's elliptical, right? And that they're, they vary in, I've got to get my hands up here. You know, they vary in the plane around the sun. <laughs> right. So that as you, the reason we get closer and farther to various different planets and we can see them better is because 
that combination of doing this versus this, that exactly that slice of time is when they're close and they're in the right plane and all that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> right. I, I think it'd be really interesting. And I know somebody's had to figure this out. I've just never, it's not a common thing, but you know, at some point we were closer to Alpha Centauri. We were closer to these other, and we've moved further away over the last 10,000, 20,000 million years. I would love to see some model simulation computer that shows here's where they are, that you could see the galaxies and how they move, but zoom in and, and get, you know, those different perspectives. Because yeah. I, I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, I can't either, but when I've, when I've tried to get why would it be that we don't notice the change that much is because, as Douglas Addison would say, the universe is big. It's really big. And no matter how much we think we're expanding, if the universe is all expanding and we, whatever galactic center big bang start was, it's hard to know as those things move away from each other, how they're moving relative from each other, kind of like spokes on a bike, you know, different ways. Right. But in, in comparison to the entire size of things, how much you're getting apart from each other over the course of galactic time, what's the sidereal time? I'm trying to think what the right term is. It's it's so the our instruments are not sufficient for the amount of distance over the amount yes. of time to say it's really changing. Yes. It really is that we're kind of like stuck in the amber of the universe in comparison, and that whole big bubble might be expanding, but relative to each other, we're still really the same over millions of years. Yeah, like yeah. Hundreds of millions of years. I wish I had a better feel for the scale of that really uh, yeah <laughs> because doing it because we can see from all the redshift and everything how things are indeed getting farther apart and not in a both going this way from each other right angle it's it's yeah <laughs> oh the thing the that Planetarium blew... show talks about that really well yeah the Planetarium show at the, the cleveland museum of natural history any planetarium i'm sure has always a cool section of here's why Here's what the constellations are going to look like in a million years. See, it's, I love that. They're changing. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. a cool way of looking at it, that we, in our 10,000 years of intelligent life on the planet, even then, they might not be exactly what they were saying, but enough so that, and I don't know, when you look at what, when you look at the stars and you look at the constellations and you think like, what were they on that they said that's a, a snake right. versus that one is a unicorn or whatever. Right. And, and, and <laughs> some and, of them are not obvious. <laughs> right. And you got to think about that too, because we've got 10 stars in a constellation, but that's from our viewpoint. We see them almost as a flat plane because of the pictures, right. but there, you know, some are back here, some are up here and some are over there. And this one might be moving that way and that one. They're not all like moving in a group because they're not there. Exactly. When you think about that, then your mind starts to hurt. I, you know, right, the one right. that blew my mind was when they said, basically, with all everything we know, we only can see and know like 42 billion light years away, I believe. That's like the limit. So what is, exists beyond 42 billion? We have no idea. And it's like, 
oh my gosh, I never thought about that. That's <laughs> there's stuff we don't even know about, you know. Well, it, but like from extrapolation, we know that there's not a wall, there's not an edge to the area. <laughs> not like Star it's Trek. More the same, more clusters, and you know that if everything we've seen is it's either a circle or a spiral or whatever, that there's just going to be many of those, but that the number of them is so large, it's I if there's any way in which I try to get my mind around like awe and infinity it's that the universe is really big yes that's... you know what i mean when we threw hubble up there and were able to start to get long views farther with clarity than we'd ever been able to see before and what we just started discovering was more that there's other cool interesting things you know class m planets or whatever you want to but that the number of galaxies the number of observable uh, novas and black holes or at least it seems to be a black hole because there's a place where there's gravity is getting warped there's gravity lensing because there's got to be something there that we can't see that is making the light shift around it i'm giving such idiot ways of explaining this there's so many better elegant ways to put it that a real astrophysicist to do it but i love reading about that kind of stuff that like even even at that scale some things you gotta uh you can see it or you can uh determine that it's there because of the effect that it's having on other things right what we understand of physics you know what i mean and especially going to the cosmology uh symposium colloquium i'm sorry that mensa had a while back like the, the biggest thing they say is and even all that that's two percent dark matter is 98 percent of the universe it's there because we can tell from the physics models that we have that it's got to be what's really holding things together has this effect on gravity and the fundamental forces and stuff like that, but it isn't in the visible spectrum. And so we're still just like getting so little information. Yeah. And yet it's amazing what we've been able to learn and apply and extrapolate to get to, here's the best map of the universe that we have. Right. And like a map of the universe. What a cool concept. You know, like it really is. Well, I remember I reading, I, I don't remember where I heard this, but they said, okay, so let's go with this, the, the multi-universe thing, which they've kind of, NASA even said, yeah, it exists, but we don't know much more about it other than, yeah, we know it's there. Okay, so instead of these universes that we can't see that are around us, let's say the multi-universe is that there's other universes farther than we can see that they exist out there okay so take our milky way galaxy how many variations can you think of you know how many different al's and steve's are there do they do a different podcast you know uh do we still have hair in an alternate you know so you know right there, there so we've got three of them just right there so take our milky way galaxy and duplicate it three times out there and then think of how many variations you have and and keep thinking of variations and every variation is another milky way galaxy but not solar system the galaxy duplicated right. now you start to you know get an idea of how big things are <laughs> i one of the things that i've always loved learning about let's let's say astrophysics is that there really are forces that guide how all that is attracted or repelled and moving and that as we come to understand them we apply always the best science that we have and then something happens like okay so what really happens near a black hole what is the event horizon and then you find out well that's okay nothing can escape so gravitationally intense that nothing not light not anything can get out and then they see a flare of um prions i'm trying to think what it is that like does escape 
And then someone has to explain that. Black body radiation coming out of a black hole, I think Stephen Hawkins actually like made one of his big career-making yeah, things was it right. called Hawkins radiation. And so what are the conditions that would allow for somehow that intense gravity isn't exactly working on everything. So what energy do they have? What perturbation of how we think it works that we, we have to extrapolate? And then just like science is, you come up with a theory and then how are you going to test it? Well, you observe as many of those as you can and see if where we think it's going to happen, like first you see that it explains what's going on. And then you try for the extrapolative power of, well, we think that this is a star that we should be seeing flares from and behold, there they are. So that's the joy of science is that you still, you know, you're not causing it, but you're starting to understand it. And then while you're doing that, something else funny happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all of a sudden you've got, we're seeing two black holes collide into each other. And what is that doing to warp space-time around them? And there, can you predict it? You know, the fact that we're noticing it for the first time in an infinity of those, it must be happening, quote, all the time, but we can only observe so many of them. Right. And I love, and not only at the big universal level, but all the things that we're doing with the CERN Collider and various others where Richard Feynman has a great, I think a whole book, not even a great line, there's plenty of room at the bottom. <laughs> he first started talking about, you know, the way that we have to deal with physics is not only that it's very big, but that it's also very small. And that at different theaters, maybe that's a good word, you get different forces that really have, they, they hold sway. You know what I mean? Gravity is actually quite weak, except that out here, it works on everything. And you get down to the fundamental vendor walls forces and stuff, and that's what's making an atom work. And, but there's similarities that give us predictive power over what happens real big and what happens real small. And that leads to that college, like, you know, you mean in my fingernail, there's a whole universe of atoms. <laughs> but it really is. It's similar enough that you can kind of like get a feel for what that's like, because on the big and on the small, it's just a matter of scale, not a matter of difference. Right. It, I, I I know I'm, like I said, apologize, apologize to all the really smart astrophysicists and people that really know this stuff as to how I just butcher things. But that's what I've been able to accumulate from reading Hawkins books and reading, you know, uh, Brian Greene and whoever else, because I kind of want to know, I kind of want to be able to, I, I, even in that rarefied atmosphere, stand there and ask a question and not have it be that all of a sudden I have a little clown hat on because I'm such an idiot. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> So there was a report I just saw that they just proved one more thing from Einstein's theories that they'd never proved before. That the, I, I didn't read the whole thing. Uh, I'll look it up again. I'll try and get a link. But basically, they were observing a black hole and there was something happening. They're like, OK, this is going to happen. They got it. Yes, we know, blah, blah, blah. But then they saw some flashes of light that they couldn't explain. They're like, where is that coming from? Well, here it turns out it was the light that entered didn't go all the way in. It bent the light and ejected it back out. And they're like, we've never seen it. We just proved that light bends and, you know, affects it this way. It's never happened before. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's 2021. And we're still proving this stuff from Einstein from 150 years ago. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I love reading about is. um a lot of what has blinded us up until now is we only had instrumentation to a certain level. Mm -hmm. So I, Einstein uh, thought 
know, gravity is a force. Most forces have, have to have a way in which they interact with the environment. So there should be gravity waves, just like there are magnetic waves or light waves or whatever else it might be. Well, gravity waves are so small uh, uh, in their effect that in order to be able to detect them, you really have to be able to like this grain of sand on a huge beach, we can look at how it moved slightly because of a difference in gravity, et cetera. And they finally, as you might've read within the last 10 years, I think, did the experiment that said, we have instrumentation that can say at this place on the planet and this place on the planet, if it shifts more than this amount, there's no other force that could account for it, except for a gravity wave having hit it. And they only, again, boy, I, I wish I was better at this. I'm butchering. They, they set up an experiment that would prove the existence of gravity waves. And you start to get into that weird Heisenberg place of the act of observing it actually changes the situation. <laughs> so how do we set up our instrumentation so that the act of observing it isn't the effect that we're looking for? Right. We've taken everything out except what must remain is a shift if it moves. And that's a lot of how they seem to be doing things. It's kind of inductive versus deductive. What do we know and then what can we prove with it? Or what do we know is not there? And yet there's still something there. So what, what can we interpret that to be? And I just love the minds that can come up with the thought experiment that starts that says, well, on what scale would I have to be to be able to detect gravity? Oh, two observing posts, the entire world away. If we can make that, this is on bedrock. It's, it's solid. There's no solar. There's no change in heat. It's in a vacuum. You know what I mean? Yeah. They said, what would be the conditions? And then someone said, I think I could build that. And then away they went. And so I'm still in awe of people. I'm not sure there's a lot of poo-pooing of those kinds of things because it's, well, what good is that going to be? It doesn't let me drive my car better. And yet, what, what is there more than man? The first time he looked up at the sky and said, what, what are those things? Are they, you know, uh, um, spirits? Are they right. hooked in a, in a piece of cardboard? It, we always want to know more and understand further. And there really are things that we learn as humanity. No matter what we've learned, it has some applicability yeah it's not the thing we've learned it's how did we pursue the finding out of the problem it, how do we get it so that we had instrumentation that could read that fine and maybe that instrumentation is going to be used to say yes. um this is how a cancer cell works that, yes how, that's what, you know what i mean there's spin-off benefits as they used to talk about the, the nasa and the space programs that it isn't only about getting to the moon it's that we learn space food sticks we learn uh Dehydration, uh, Wi-Fi, wi and, and all kinds of the communications things and the surviving in hostile environments things and what the human body does in those conditions. Tons of stuff that we learned went on to change the world, not just getting to the moon. The, 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 <laughs> the, the thing that people forget and people that would say, well, it doesn't help my car, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's the problem that there are things we don't know about as a, a species. And obviously the person saying something stupid like that doesn't know about things. There are some things we just don't know. If you don't know about it, you can't ask questions about it. You know, you, you it, we don't even know what we don't know. That old saying, you know, is that walking into physics the first day in high school and the teacher goes, so what questions do you have about physics? Yeah, what the hell's physics? You know, I mean, you, you got to have some knowledge first. So all of this builds, yes, maybe gravity waves and putting this experiment won't progress uh, helping cancer cells or your car running better. But we don't even know because 
<laughs> you know, right. and this goes back. One of the other things I've been doing, I told you about was working with Gina and Colin and a friend of ours doing uh, cryptids and investigations and ghost hunts and things like that. Okay. And the four of us have completely different viewpoints and Collins are skeptic, like everything. He's like, no, it does just not at all. And I'm always pushing back with, but you know, we just don't know enough. We don't know, uh, you know, okay. Maybe that wasn't a ghost. Maybe Gina saw it was chemicals in her head. Uh, either way, you know, we, we don't know what it is. We don't know she did or didn't. We don't know. But we have to, and he's just like, well, it's not a ghost. So, but we don't know that it's not because we don't know what goes on. The pursuit of finding out yes. has so much value in and of itself. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and un until we have enough technology and enough science and enough knowledge of what we now term as paranormal, we, you know, we can't even ask questions. We don't even have enough information right now for that. That's, that's you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, of course, I have to run my life with, well, um, the scale at which I operate has a certain number of things that are pretty constant. You know what I mean? I haven't run into that many things that were miraculous that were like without explanation. And so that's still how I have to run my life is the extrapolation of what usually worked. Right. And yet what I, I know in my, I love being surprised. And because I've gotten good at taking data, being able to extrapolate into the future, get to what's probably going to be done, said, et cetera. It, it, I, I love it when it, well, I guess I got more to learn or I got to get better data or it's just is there's inherent randomness in some systems, noise in the data or my ability to perceive it. That it's just, I will never be able to predict this. And sometimes I want to be in that situation and others not, you know what I mean? When I right. want to go to a conversation, not know what people are going to talk about. That's wonderful. I don't want to be saying, what do I know about avalanches? Well, if I think it's going to avalanche while I'm driving on this road, I don't need to have the proof kill me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. it's, a little bit of how, like, again, how people run their lives, what they do with themselves. I really love to hear just the first time that a, a child talks about how would they figure that out if they wanted to, that it's not just I learned it from a book or that some people are, they, you want to have a combination of experiential that they learned it for themselves. Sometimes it really is, well, I didn't have to do a dangerous thing. I could read about what it's like to be underwater and that as you go down i've had experience with just the pool that you get more pressure and it makes your ear pop well then imagine that being 100 feet down and that your ears can't pop anymore so what do you do to protect yourself from that imbalance and pressure and just you can see you can kind of put those things together and sometimes where they just go it's magic it's yeah uh, you know what i mean they they don't well, they don't have that spirit of i really want to understand they go with kind of the the easy explanation and the easy is often wrong. They go with the, you know, I don't know. I, we have to, we all have things that we short circuit the reasoning part to just be able to quickly get to a conclusion. Cause you have to every day, you have to yeah. just not look at your environment new. You have to have some assumptions about this is how trees work. And this is how people work. Right. My, my, my pushback <laughs> with Colin is things like, uh, sharks scenting blood in the water. They don't still don't understand how that works because they've done experiments where, okay, no sharks around. They put one or two drops in. Within minutes, there are sharks coming that have swum three miles. There's no way two drops of blood could dispersed. Spread through that medium. Exactly. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, just Ooh. last year or the year before, they discovered a new organ in our body. 
Now, it's not a pancreas or anything big like that. Right. It was a, a collection of certain kind of cells and nerves that did a minor little thing. But they're like, this is a complete organ. This is new. We've never known about it. You know, so, I mean, things like that, if they ex if this is happening now, the thing with uh, the, the black hole and the light, they've never proven it. Now they have. If these things are happening in 2020 and 2021, then what else don't we know? What else will we prove 300 years from? That's my pushback with him always. And then he always replies with, well, you can't use that as a basis to prove that you're right. I'm not using it to prove that I'm right. Just to I'm, leave that little opening of there's yes, still more to learn. I'm exactly. using it to say that it's not necessarily uh, non-existent or that it's wrong, that there's still yeah. something. So if, uh, I know that they just discovered that birds have some way of being able to sense the magnetic field of the world so that that's how they migrate it's been a long if you will a mystery they're able to do it they get all the way from you know greenland down to south america or whatever else it might be and with regularity and it doesn't need to be based on they look at it they judge air currents there really was so having said that now that we know that they have some sensory apparatus an organ or whatever else it might be it kind of can be used to explain I know people that have a really good sense of direction and others that don't. And, you know, not only in the way of what we talked about, hey, as long as I keep the mountain on my left, I know on a map that this is where I am. But there's sometimes where I, I kind of have that. I never feel lost. I almost always have some sense of where I am, where north, south. And, of course, some of it is just the, um, what would you call it? You're always aware of where the sun is. And so you can always kind of judge north, south, east, west. But it's a little bit more and different than that. that maybe it's memory, almost any place I've ever been, I can kind of get back to it. And so I have, but even accounting for all of that stuff, there have been times where this just feels like the right way. I don't know why, but this feels like the right way to go. And then we end up back where we wanted to go on a series of trails that could have gone really good or really bad. And once in a while, it's a guess and it's really bad. And you got to remember that you had as many failures as you did positives. But if right. you're positive 90% of the time, that seems to be like a nice... There's something going on there. It's not 50-50. It's not 60-40. It really is. Yeah. I, I After a while, I realize I'm pretty good at it. So you kind of, you don't have cockiness about it. We have a little bit of confidence for, well, let me, let me make a guess. Let's just try this. And then as you go that way, and it's like, now this starts to look familiar. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, I've, I've really been amazingly benefited with, I guess I got a little magnetic thing going on, or I got yeah. a little bit of whatever the gestalt is of anywhere I've ever been. I can kind of relate to this looks a little bit like that. And so let's guess that it's this way. I'm very, my father had it too. I don't know if my brothers do. I think like they have different things. You know, my older brother has the sense of his body in space. He's a pilot and he's never unaware of where he is 3d. So he can do the fighter pilot, cool stuff. And, um, and it's partly skill, you know, you know and experience. Exactly. Yeah. But even just that thing of, that you don't even have the fear of it in the first place, that whenever the first time you try it, instead of feeling disoriented, you were like, oh, it's just, of course I knew. It was like, yeah. and it's kind of cool to hear that of course part, because it, in the act of that unnerving to many people thing, he's one of the guys that doesn't seem to have that at all. And I'm admiring of that. You know what I mean? That people don't usually find themselves in the air, kind of weightless, shifting around, and you might get that in a video game, like you play Portal, you immediately have to worry about orientation and what the hell's going on. And some people just immediately take to it and others are like, I've played this 20 times and I can't figure it out. 
Right. So there's there's a gradation there, a spectrum of familiarity with the whole concept of it or something like and, that. And what I what I you know bring up with Colin is what you just said. Some people just are have different skills, the way their brain works. I mean, there's so many combinations of people. And, and I said, okay. There's so many chemicals in our body, so many ways that the nerves run and the, the, the stuff. So just for a moment, let's say that in Gina, her nerves and her chemical makeup is in such a way that her brain sees light slightly shifted higher than what we're seeing in, you know, cause light's a huge spectrum. We see this much, right. maybe there are there is some sort of energy in a light spectrum that we can't normally see that she is or if there are multiple universes and i said this nasa has said there are other universes pocket universes we don't know anything about them we can't do anything but detect that yes they exist okay so we don't know anything about them but they exist so that's new what's to say that there's not something in somebody's makeup that is more tuned to some of these so it's the alternatives that they get uh yeah i wonder i wonder you can't say oh no that doesn't exist when we don't know enough about it <laughs> to make it one way or the other I, I can't believe i'm going to go on record about this <laughs> i'm really a skeptic i really am yeah. much embracing of science and that we'll get to the explanation by further study and instrumentation all that kind of stuff and and what humbles me about that and leaves room is I have this weird thing that I can sense animals sometimes. Oh, we'll be going down the street and it'll be like, there, there's a cat up ahead. And I couldn't tell you how I know that. It's not like I hear in my voice, I'm a cat. It's nothing weird like that. But then again, kind of that weird 90%, there will indeed be the cat in the window where I thought it was going to be. And we'll be out hiking and it'll be there. and And, I wish I had all the words to put to this. Animals have different things so that you can sense, is it a bird, which is kind of like glittery? It, it's not a, an, an, a predator versus prey, that they're sharper versus duller, that um, I, I have had many, 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 many weird times where we're like going to go around a corner and there's, there's something big around this corner. And that's when we see the bison that you really shouldn't get close to or something like that. And I'm sure that I've had a number of times where I also was, oh, I think there's an orangutan here. And of course, there's not. But <laughs> I, I've said it enough times to Colleen that she's like, I'm not trying to weird her out, but it's more like, I kind of don't want to keep this to myself. It's this weird little thing. Honestly, Stephen, there's no special magic rays that come out of animals that go into animal right. head. there's no i can talk to the animals dr doolittle there's no explanation for this weirdness except that instead of it just being random it seems to be i'll go away from 90. it's more than 5149 i'm so often right that it's just well how cool is that right and and, and, and my thing and, and my thing is because i think that's super cool and i think everybody has something somewhere like that but Right now, in 2021, it sounds like it's paranormal. It sounds otherworldly. But maybe in 100, 500, 1,000 years, there will be changes in our science and understanding that it's explainable, that it may even be a partial other sense that we all have. 
and some people just have more of it and it's developing now or you know there could be a million possibilities i'm not saying they are but i'm also not saying it's definitely paranormal you know what i've tried to relate it to is we know that some people are better like with horses they're a horse and so in whatever way they move and present themselves and speak it's calming or it's being part of the herd or it's even being the alpha of the herd and so I, I'm good with animals. Most cats and dogs really seem to like me for no good reason. I'm just a guy. And yet I'm, I have a calmness about me or I, there's something about, the, and, and hmm, I also know, unfortunately, that if you were to like, okay, we're going to do a double blind study that says for all the times that Al says, is there really something there? I'm, I have no confidence that it would work. There's no way that I'd be in a controlled lab environment and that I'd be able to prove that I have this thing. Right. I kind of don't want to be the psychic detective that finds the clues because et cetera, et cetera. I don't trust this ability at all. It is a, a happenstance and kind of a, well, that was cute and amusing that I knew there was a turkey there or something like that. But, but I, you know what I mean? I just, like I said, it's humbling to be skeptic, skeptic, skeptic. And yet I got this little weirdness. Yeah. What's that all about? Well, you know, you know there's, just... a, there's, there's a lot of wonder still in the universe. Don't lose guess, the wonder. You know? You know, with all the science, all the big brain thinking stuff, there's yeah. still wonder uh, that there you can some enjoy. Part of what I deal with animals, I'm not just like, how you doing, buddy, and talking to them. There's something where I think I'm trying to project, we're pack. I'm your friend. You know what I mean? We're, you know, let's, let's go for a run together or something like that. And it's, you know, like I said, there's no magic rays. There's nothing that's going on like that. But I, I think more, much more would account for it would be, especially dogs and cats, they're very sensitive to people and their faces and their voice yeah. tone and that kind of stuff but wild animals i i have no idea how i would know there's a and, and like once in a while it's so specific that it's weird like there's a bird and i think it's more like an owl than a pigeon you know what i mean there's like a different because owls are quiet and they're calm and, and they're really good at what they do they don't have to do a thousand tries they can pick out the one thing they want to get and all that who knows why but that's the can't even say image the impression that I get in my head right, is uh, there's a really efficient predator coming up, but it's not danger to us. It's not a cougar, but it just is, you know, there's like, be a I, I got to shut up. I got to shut up because but, I just, I feel like a fool for, well, and now, well, like I said, this is on tape. I can't believe I just, you know, on tape. Was, how old are you? Wacky. It's just, well, I just, I'll just call man. you Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that, see, that's the thing though. Again, we look at it as something otherworldly paranormal. But it could totally be. There could be a million people right now with the exact same thing. But because it's not a provable science, it's not something we know a lot about. Yeah. You know, I, when I when I strive for explanations, it really is. Well, we all got five senses, but people are different in the strength of them, the quality of them. So I know, like maybe I smell the animal nearby, and I can't put a. You know, I don't have a dog nose where it's forty thousand times more accurate and that right. kind of thing, but. I know that people have different noses where they react to various different things. Some have that perfect perfumer nose where they really can tell incredible differences. Yeah. Oh, this is ocelot scent versus this is fox scent. And you know what I mean? Like, and it might be subconscious. And that's what I think is that in the face of, I don't know what to make of it. Some part of my brain is saying, but it is something. And then it just starts saying, I, maybe that's an animal that you're, you don't, that, that animal is um, not enough in your environment that you have that scent. When we all smell skunk, we know skunk. And so that's what it is. 
I don't know what a fox smells like, but because it's kind of like other um, dog-ish, you know, it's got fur, whatever the scent things are that come from, it's got musk glands, you know, it has a little bit of meat about it because it just killed and ate something. All of that, whatever that is that well, my, my not so mighty nose, but my mind is playing with, I, I, maybe I saw a branch move and it uh, was indicative of the way it looks like when a bird is sitting on the branch. So even if it's in the middle of a tree and you can't really see, you had to make some sense out of that wasn't the wind. It was something else. And so I talked myself out of you really, yeah, I mean, I mean, you did sense it. You just didn't right. have the direct five cents, plus umami, just teasing, because <laughs> we sweet sugar, salt, bitter, and umami. It, I think that there's something going on there that I can't well, fully explain. It's, that, and, and that, you know, that you all know? makes sense. It, <laughs> it could definitely be a combination of things. Mm-hmm. Of course, none of that explains how when you're driving down the car and you know there's a cat in a window up ahead. <laughs> See, that's like that, that's you're exactly right. When I've tried to follow that through to the logical conclusion, it's like, but if you're in a box where all those things are cut off and it's night, so it's not light and it's not smell and it's not sound, you didn't hear a mew from inside a car. <laughs> right. Who knows? Right. I, just, I wish I. Yeah. It's kind of cool. <laughs> I agree. That is very cool. Um, well, I'm going to have to get going. I got some okay. other things coming up, but uh, I didn't get to it this week. So I know we want to work on it so we can talk to Catherine. But sometime I've got to talk. We got a soda stream uh, to give. Oh, it a my. Chance. Well, you're making your own uh, uh, flavored things now. And yes. To be a mad scientist about. Yes. This. I want to get some. Acai and tiger in a bottle. I'm yeah, gonna... <laughs> so I, I'll have a report in an upcoming week, and you know some uh, recipes and stuff we've tried to see what works, That's what doesn't, cool. and stuff like okay. that. So, okay, all right, man. Okay, Let, we'll we'll troubleshoot for next time. And yes. as always, thanks for the chat. I really yep. do appreciate it. Okay. Talk to you later. Good one. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.